0: Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. Man, I'm so glad you're here today. Um, this is such an exciting time in the life of our church. I've been saying it for a while. We need, I'm going to keep saying it. We should be inviting people to church every single day, every single week. And uh, we got a big reason coming up to invite. I know it's crazy to say this. But we got Easter coming up. Easter is, is in one month. <laughs> That's insane. I feel like Christmas just ended and it's already Easter. Um, but I, I do want to share with you just a little bit about Easter. Uh, Easter is going to be a baptism Sunday for us. So we're going to celebrate life change in the room. We're going to celebrate baptisms. It's going to be beautiful. Um, I do also want to share this detail with you. It's a little different than, than most holiday services we've had. Most holiday services... We have so many people in attendance that you got to have like 18 services over three days because our room used to be like 100 people big, and it was crazy. Uh, we're going to try something. This might be the only year we're able to do it, but we're going to have Easter service times at our normal service times, 9 and 11. And you're like, how are we going to fit more people in this room? I know it's crazy, but if we, don't, if we don't follow old COVID protocols, which they're old, we can fit in about twice as many chairs in this room as what we have right now. So we're on Easter Sunday, 9 and 11 a.m. We're going to pack this place out. Kids ministry, birth through sixth grade is offered. I'm telling you, it's going to be an incredible service. You do not want to miss it. And you will wish that every waiter, every waitress, every barista, every neighbor, every coworker that has a pulse was here. All right. So let's get out there and let's spread the word for it. All right. All right. Today, um, we are in Philippians chapter one. If you have a Bible, uh, you can get to Philippians one. If you don't have one, no worries. We'll have the words on the screen for you, as always. Uh, We are in... A collection of messages right now called the battle-ready soul. All right, the battle-ready soul. And the the idea for this, that we we started this last Sunday, the idea for this is birthed in this truth that there is a, a war going on. There is a battle going on, and you are the thing that's being fought over. Like, you need to know this. To the world, you are not a person, you are a resource. You're a commodity that is being fought over by our world. Your time, your attention, your schedule, your emotions, your influence, everything about you, you are a resource to the world, and they are fighting over you tooth and nail. And and, and last week he said it's it's not just the world that's fighting over you, that there is an enemy, an unseen enemy. We call him the devil. And, and you know, you you may not be quite sure what you believe about God just yet, and that's cool. This is the perfect place for you. Uh, We exist to be a place where you you, you can belong here before you believe. Right? You can sort out your beliefs. Uh, but even if you're not sure what you believe about God just yet, you've likely felt some sort of an evil presence in your life at different times. Right? Like there's, there's something that feels like it's going up against you, and we believe that's the devil himself that wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. We even saw it last week. All right? uh, if you were here last week at our 9 in service, <laughs> it, got, it got wild. I was like, if you want to know whether or not there is an, an, an unseen force at work against us right now, uh, last week I, I preached on Optimism. And, and it was the first, and actually the same thing I'm preaching on today. It's actually kind of a two-part message. But I started preaching on optimism and how optimism is the key to your future. That if you don't believe good things are coming in your future, you'll actually be prevented from the life God wants for you. That, that if, if, if you continue to believe this lie that optimism and pessimism are two equal forces, right? The glass is either half empty or half full, which is really a patronizing way of saying there's the same amount of water either way. If you continue to believe that that mess, it's gonna prevent you from living the life that God has called you and God died and resurrected for you to live. The minute I started getting into that, the minute I said, man, pessimism, it'll destroy your future. In our 9 a.m. service, all of our lights in this room and the screen behind me went out. People said before, like, Peter, man, you preach the lights out. I literally preached the lights out that day. It was like bucket list stuff. Like when my kids asked, dad, what was the best sermon you ever preached? Like, bro, go check the one where the lights went out. But like, and and it was crazy. It was crazy because I'm like, oh my gosh, the minute I started getting serious about it, I preached the last half of that sermon in the pitch dark in this room. And it was so funny because like in that moment, I had a choice to make. Am Am I gonna make fun of this? Or am I gonna lean in and just keep going? And I saw in that moment, people were like, oh no, what's gonna happen? And I'm telling you what the enemy wanted to do in that moment was distract every single one of us from that message. But we sing it here all the time. What the enemy intended for evil, God uses for good. And I saw in that moment, everyone in that room started paying more attention than they actually were before. The sermon was actually pretty boring before then. <laughs> I actually asked the guys in the back, I was like, hey, can we, can we replicate that at the 11 a.m. service? Can we do that again? Can you shut the lights down? But like, there's, there are forces that are at work against you. At work, and, and you are being fought over. The question is, are you gonna wake up to that battle and are you going to get your soul ready for it? Are you going to have a battle-ready soul? And so we're going through the book of Philippians to try to get our souls ready so that when, so when the attacks come our way, we can stand firm so that we don't, so we don't lose ourselves in the midst of this battle that's going on over us. And, 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 and last week we talked about optimism, right? We said that God's nature, God's character. Remember, I had three people on stage with signs. That, like we said, the truth of who God is, that God is good, God is in control, and God is here. Those are truths about God, that those truths were meant to keep you from becoming pessimistic. That no matter what happens in your life, you might be tempted to turn around towards negativity, but if God is good, God is in control, and God is here, you can't go back to pessimism, right? Today, I want to show you how the nature and the character of God was not just supposed to prevent you from pessimism. It was actually supposed to propel you into optimism, And and, and I actually want to show you something you can practically do. Every single one of you you can do this every single day. This one practical thing that will help you fight and stay in an optimistic mentality. So that's where we're going today. Um, But but the place we start in Philippians chapter 1 is uh, Paul first has to kind of settle the ground and make sure that you know whether or not you are optimistic or pessimistic. Right, because I, I think some of you guys left last week, and you're like, man, I've never heard a sermon about optimism or pessimism, and, 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 and you were starting to think, like, which one am I? Like, am I, am I optimist or am I, or am I pessimist? And Paul would say, like, well, if you know, you know. Right, like, I, I had a friend who lives down in the south, doesn't live in Colorado, and um, this past week, he was like, man, I love March, because that means the end of winter. <laughs> I was like, tell me you don't live in Colorado without telling me you don't live in Colorado. March means nothing here. <laughs> We're going to get dumped on this week, man. It means nothing, right? Like, if you know, like, you, you know you live in Colorado if March is just, like, December to you. You're like, oh, whatever, whatever. We still got months of this, right? Paul would say there's a way to know. Like, if you know, you know, whether you're optimistic or pessimistic. And it's all based on verse 20. Y'all ready? Let's jump in. Here we go. Verse 20 says this. says, I eagerly expect and hope. All right, we're going to say those words together if you're online with us. What up online? I forgot to mention you earlier. We love you. We see you. Um, You can do this with us too. It's just going to be weird because it's only you watching this in your lonely apartment. (laughs) I'm kidding. You probably have people with you and friends. I get it. I want you to say those words with us all together. We're going to say, I eagerly expect and hope. Okay, one, two, three. I eagerly expect and hope. One more time. I eagerly expect and hope. That's the combo. I eagerly expect and I hope. We'll come back to that. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, I eagerly expect and I hope. That's how you know if you're optimistic. See, Paul Paul didn't just hope. I know hope, hope is like a churchy word. You know, hope in the Bible actually means something very different than what hope means to us now. When we say the word hope, it's like a lotto ticket. You're like, like, I hope gas prices are going to go down. That's wishful thinking. We're all going to be walking to church in six months. You have no reason to believe gas prices are going down, right? Like, you can, you can hope all you want. See, Paul didn't just hope. He says, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Meaning, when, my, when, when, when I'm pushed up against it, right? Paul's writing this in a prison cell. He's facing potential death, potential execution for his faith in Jesus. He's saying, I eagerly expect that I will in no way be ashamed when push comes to shove. And he says, and I eagerly expect that I will have sufficient courage so that I'm not ashamed, so that I can stand the test, right? He's like, I don't just hope, I expect it. I, you See, that, that's an optimistic mindset. It's like, It's like the difference between you ordering something off of Amazon and anywhere else. (laughs) I I had to order a car car part for my wife's car this week, and uh, Amazon didn't have it. So I had to, you know, be like a a, a commoner and go to some eBay website or something, right? Like, we live on Prime. That's it. Amazon Prime. But, like, when you order something off anything that's not Amazon, you don't even know if it's going to come on time. You don't know when. Like, if you got tricked into buying something off Instagram, and you didn't know where that thing was getting shipped from, and it says it's coming from Japan you'll see your t-shirt in two years. <laughs> that thing may never come, right? But like, with like, you hope it's going to come. You hope, you check that tracking number every day. It's like, oh my gosh, where's this thing? I don't know. Uh. With Amazon, you don't even question it. You just know that Navy, Navy delivery van is going to show up at your door and like your driver, that you're on a first name base with. Hey, Tony, Tony's back. Some of y'all are, are Amazon addicts. That's the AA meeting you need to go to. Amazon's anonymous, man. Like, you need to get some help. You're, you're, you're killing, your, killing your budget on Amazon. But you just know, right? Like, you order that thing, within six hours, he's going to be at your doorstep <laughs> delivering it. It's amazing. You don't even worry about it. Paul would say, I don't even worry about it. I don't just hope. I eagerly expect. I expect that God is going to show up for me. I expect that I'm going to have the confidence. I expect I'm going to have the courage. Because of everything I've seen happen in the past. Right, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my kids to pray like this. My kids, my kids will pray the same things every night. Uh, they'll say, you know, God, thank you so much for this day and we love you and we hope we don't have any bad dreams and we hope we have a good day at school tomorrow and we hope, we hope, we hope. I'm like, hey, will you stop saying we hope? When's the last time you had a bad dream? <laughs> Next to never. When's the last time you had a bad day at school? Next to never. You've had nothing but peaceful sleep and a great school experience. You don't have to say I hope. You can say God, I trust I trust I'm going to have no bad dreams. I can can trust I'm going to have a good day at school. God, thank you for coming because because of what you've seen in the past. Right? You you can have eager expectation. And see, some of y'all are like, that's exactly why I'm pessimistic. That's exactly why I can't be optimistic. Because I look back, Petey, at my life, and I don't see good things. Some of y'all are like, man, Petey, if I could tell you the hand I've been dealt You'd know why I don't eagerly expect anything good to happen. Because I've had nothing but failures and pain and failed relationships and addiction and financial struggles and, 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 and uncertainty and pain and death. Petey, the hand I've been dealt is so difficult. You don't know. Like my, it'd be great if I was like your kids and had nothing but you know good dreams and good days at school. It'd be great if I could be like Paul and have you know, sufficient courage and eagerly expect, but that's just not the hand I've been dealt, right? You look at the past and it gives you no reason to eagerly expect good things in the future, but hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Paul, who wrote this letter, his life was not rainbows and butterflies. Remember, remember, remember the context of this first century letter that we have historically handed down for us for 2,000 years was written from a prison cell. And let's remember the life of Paul for a second, because this is Paul who wasn't a Christian at first. He was the best Jew you could ever imagine, highly esteemed and regarded. Then he was miraculously converted to start following Jesus, which in doing so meant that every Jewish friend he had was done with him. His family betrayed him, right? And and, and you say, well, that's cool because he's got the church. No, 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 hold up. His Jewish friends rejected him, and then when he stepped foot in the church, every church he walked into questioned him, doubted him, judged him. Paul would step foot in a church, and all the Christians in the room would be like, that's the dude that tried to kill me last month. We're going to let him in? So we're just letting anybody in these days. Like, they all thought he was going to try to infiltrate from the inside, right? So he was rejected by his friends, then he was doubted by his new friends fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, good church guy. And, and so Paul just kept, you know, that, that was difficult, but it, it, it didn't stop there. Paul starts preaching and going from town to town. Most of the towns he went, went to, he got beat up in. He got destroyed. He got made fun of. He got kicked out of the town. He's trying to start churches. He's trying to preach. He's struggling and struggling, and he's trying to build this movement. He's trying to scrap it together, and now he's in jail. He's in jail with the movements In its infancy, the the movement of Jesus didn't even have its legs yet. And he's in jail, can't do anything about it. See, but Paul, Paul has a different script that he tells himself for how his life before and in that moment had gone. Paul flipped the script on his life. Paul, Paul didn't tell himself the same story that you tell yourself about your life. See, Paul would say, yes, I went through all of that. I went through all that pain, I went through all that suffering, I went through all that heartache, but here I am, and what am I doing right now? I'm writing a letter to a church. (laughs) I'm leading prison guards to faith. I've been through everything this world could ever throw at me, but here I am. I'm not quitting, I'm still in it, right? And, And for him, that was proof of the goodness of God. That was proof that that he can continue to live with an optimistic mindset because he saw that even in his darkest days, God was with him, right? And Paul would look at you and say, you need to change the story you're telling yourself. You You need to flip the script on your life because Paul would say, here you are. Where are you right now? You're in church. You're sitting here ready to receive a word from God that's hope for your life. You've been through everything this world has tried to throw at you. You're, you're watching online right now. Come on, like you're, you're trying. Like you are here. You are watching a church service on a phone on a computer. The rest of the world's doing all, but you're here. You see, that should be proof that God will never give up on you. God will never forsake you. God will never leave you. Let me come on. The fact that you're still standing right now means that the story of your life. See, there was a moment where you were alone in your car after you got fired. And you had no clue what you were going to do. There was a moment where you were alone in your car and you just got broken up with and you thought they were the one. And you had no clue what you were going to do. The fact that you're here right now is proof that God was in that car with you. Some of y'all woke up a month ago fully depressed, suicidal, not wanting to put one foot in front of the other, not wanting to get out of bed. Guess what you did? You got up out of bed. Who, Who got you there? How are you here right now? How are you here right now if not for a good and loving God who has good things in store for you, who has helped you in the midst of it? Come on, when you were in the courtroom and you didn't know how the custody battle was going to go, you didn't know if you were ever going to see your kids again, here you are, and your kids are checking into kids ministry right now. Here here you are. God has brought you to this place. I'm telling you, because of your past, you you need to start telling yourself a different story of what has happened in your life. I'm not saying a, a, a wrong story. You need to start telling yourself the truth. Of how God has actually worked in your life. And in doing so, if you could see God in your story, you would then start to eagerly expect that if He came through for you then, He's gonna come through for you now. See, I, I remember. I got too good of a memory. I remember when my wife and I were in the counseling office, marriage on the rocks. I remember when I was depressed and didn't wanna get out of bed. I remember when I was unemployed. I I, I remember when I didn't know if I'd ever be able to set foot in a church again. I I remember when I didn't know if I'd ever be able to serve in ministry again. I, I remember. But here I am. Here I am. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. It don't matter how bad your life gets. I'm telling you, you are here right now. You ought to be more kind to yourself. Like Joseph said, you ought to be more kind to yourself. You made it. You're doing so much better than you think you are. God, God is never going to give up on you. And with that in mind, you can eagerly expect. See, that's how you know. That's how you know if you're confident. If you know, you know. If you're eagerly expecting good things to happen, you know you're optimistic. And, and that's why some of y'all are like, all right, I know I'm not optimistic. <laughs> if you know, you know, I know. <laughs> some of you are like, I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not there. So how do I get there? And that's where Paul's going to take us right now. All right. A practical way. For us every single day to move from pessimism to optimism, to destroy the negative outlook on your life, and to understand that good things are coming for you because God is good. But it starts <clears throat> with a tattoo-worthy verse. I told you all last week this, this book is filled with tattoo-worthy verses. And oh, by the way, my man Keith McCoy found out that Tattoo Sunday is legal. <laughs> y'all got to stop. Y'all got to stop. Stop. All it takes is a permit that you'd have to apply for 30 days before the events. So someone, someone first service was like, we're going to have Tattoo Sunday. If, if you weren't here last week, we were talking about my, one of my crazy messed up ideas is to have a Tattoo Sunday, where tattoo artists fill the lobby and all you hear is the sound of buzzing needles all morning long. Some like, oh no, I'm at the wrong church. Someone first service wanted to do it on Easter. I was like, I think we're, I think we're more than 30 days or less than 30 days out from Easter. Also, I don't know if I would ever be able to overcome that. (laughs) You did tattoos on Easter. This is a tattoo-worthy verse. Here's what he says. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Go ahead and warm up the needle. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. (laughs) Yet what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, de- to, to depart and be with Christ, which is, is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I, I know that I will remain, and I, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He says, says when it comes to my life, when it comes to what I'm looking at in the future, to live as Christ, I'm gonna serve Jesus, I'm gonna walk with Jesus, I'm gonna see what Jesus does, it's gonna be incredible, and to die, well if that happened, that'd be better. That'd be gain, it would be awesome. See, I just envision when, when Paul writes this, right, because this was a letter that he sent to a church in a city called Philippi, when the, when the Philippian church was reading this, I just envision they get to that part and they read, for to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain, I just envision they all just start falling out their seats laughing. <laughs> This dude, this guy's crazy. To live is Christ and to die is gain. (laughs) Who's this guy think he is? Right, like, come on, like, they just gotta be laughing. Like, Paul's out here acting like there's only two options. (laughs) When we know there's a lot more than that. Right, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Come on, you know there's more than that. There's to live is pain and to die is terrifying. To live is stress, to die is failure. To live is striving and performance, and to die is utterly hopeless. There is a lot more options than just, than just what you're saying, Paul. There's a lot more that could be on, on the menu. I mean, come on, this guy, this guy acting like he's an in and out burger with just a few things on the menu. Uh, my, my sister-in-law came to town uh, to visit with her boyfriend a um, few weeks ago. And her boyfriend, new boyfriend, hadn't met him yet. He's uh, from Kentucky. And when he showed up, I'm like, man, this is just a good old Kentucky boy. He's a good old boy. I love him to death. Um, just good old, it, like reminded me of like hanging out with my friends back in back in high school back in Kentucky, right? Just a good old Kentucky boy. He he shows up I'm like, so hey, what do you want to do? While you're in Colorado, first time you're in Colorado, it's a destination location. That's why we're all here. That's why you can't afford a home right now. <laughs> what, what do you want to do? I'm like, you could go skiing, you could go hiking, you could go rock climbing, you could go snowboarding. I mean, we can just, we got it all. He's like, you know what I really want to do? I really want to go to In-N-Out Burger. I'm like, tell me you're from Kentucky without telling me you're from Kentucky. You come to destination, like I want fast food. So I'm like, all right, right, we we can get you you that. So I I show up to In-N-Out and they got that long line and that line scares a lot of people off, but it shouldn't because that line moves really, 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 really fast. You know why it moves so fast? Because there's only like three things on the menu. It's just an assembly line. Burger, double, burger, triple burger, fries, shake, that's it. All right, so, so, so the line moves fast, as opposed to, like, the menu's real small, as opposed to, like, a, a Cheesecake Factory menu. How many of y'all been to Cheesecake Factory, by show of hands? All right, some of y'all been there, some of y'all not. If you don't know Cheesecake Factory, the menu is like a novel. It's an encyclopedia. It's an experience, too. Like, you go to Cheesecake, and, like, I'm just trying to order some cheese sticks, and they're trying to sell me a Mercedes. There's advertisements in the menu. It's, like, it's a book. You came there to talk to people, but you're just reading and it's very intimidating, right? It's very intimidating. I, I, I hate going to Cheesecake Factory. I love the cheesecake, but I hate the experience because I get like paralysis by analysis. Like, what, what am I going to do? I, I can't. What if I choose this, but this was better? And, uh, right? See, I, I think what Paul would say to some of you is that the reason you are so pessimistic when you look to the future is that you are living with a Cheesecake Factory menu when you need to be living with an in and out menu when you think about the future and everything that could possibly happen to you, your menu is riddled with options, and most of them aren't good. Right? So like let's say let's say you lose your job or you think you're about to lose your job. Right? You you think that you're you're in you got some job insecurity issues and you're thinking, "What is this year going to look like?" Right? Like the menu is huge. I mean, like could be something good like, "Hey man, you could land another job, maybe even a better job." That could happen. You, you could, you know, grow in your character through this process. You could. But also, man, when it comes to your current job, like if you left, you got fired, like who's going to take your place? Is it going to be that jerk down the hall because you hate that jerk? You don't want him to have your job. Are you going to leave on bad terms with your boss? I mean, what, 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 what will you do for your next job? What, what if you can't find another job? What if all of a sudden, even though you've never been unemployed, you are now totally unemployable? What if you can't provide for your family? Then you're going to have to sell your home. Then you're going to have to move neighborhoods or possibly move states. Then your kids will have to change schools. Then they'll lose all their friends and probably go through a really bad season, and then they might grow up and hate you for it. And you wonder why you are so pessimistic about the future. Look at your menu. I mean, in that, if if those are my options, why would I even believe that there could be anything different than bad in my future? right? Let's say you're um, in relational tension with someone, okay? Let's say it's either a spouse or coworker or a friend, and the relationship was good, but something has happened, and it's bad now. It's a bad relationship, right? There's a lot of ways that could go, right? You could solve the conflict with a direct conversation. Oh, by the way, I'm gonna pause and take this moment to say that that's how Jesus told us that conflict should be handled, right? You just have a direct conversation, with them. And Jesus even says, you should do it immediately. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's not a suggestion. He's like, you know what? The better thing to do of all your options, you know, would probably be to not let the sun go down on your anger. No, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's a direct, it's, it's a commandment. And you know, come on, I'm, I'm taking another little five seconds to say this. You know that 95% of all problems in churches, in workplaces, in families, in schools would be solved if we all did that. Half the reason that all this drama exists in our world is because when you have conflict with someone, you go gossip about it to 10 friends and see what they think first. And then that changes those 10 friends' opinion about that person and about you. And then all of a sudden, everyone's lines are mixed up. Instead, just go right to the source. You could have a direct conversation. You could learn about yourself in the process. You could develop healthier boundaries for the future. Or there's some other options. Like, I mean, come on, that direct conversation will probably permanently damage the relationship you could sweep it under the rug like you have for the most part right every time that something goes wrong you just keep sweeping under the rug and the lump under the rug keeps getting bigger and bigger and and it's probably never going to get any better it's probably always gonna be awkward with them I mean what if they never apologize and you need your apology you'll never be close like you used to be and so at the end of the day you'll have to settle me that that relationship is what it is and it's never going to get any better if that's your menu no wonder you believe pessimistically about the future because of all those options it's hard to even find a good one. You see, Paul, Paul just didn't live with that big of a menu, but don't trick yourself. Paul's menu absolutely could have been that big. When Paul's facing his current situation, the menu of options for what could happen to him in the future was absolutely as big as that. You see, yeah, yeah, Paul says, my options are to live as Christ or to die as gain, right? That's beautiful, but come on, we know there's more than that, right? Because death will be painful And Paul's probably thinking, man, every every church I've started is probably going to fail. I ain't got the leaders for this, right? Have I really raised up enough leaders to carry on the movement? What if I give up when it gets hard and I renounce my faith? I'm going to die all alone. What if this whole faith thing is just a fairy tale? Even if I live, I'm going to be stuck in this prison forever. I gave up everything for nothing. I probably made the wrong choice with my faith and my career. That's what his menu could have looked like, right? Just like ours. But here's what Paul did. Remember, last week we said God is good, God is in control, God is here. God is good, God is in control, God is here. The nature and the character of who God is actually negates most of these options. See, most of the options that you allow on the menu of what could happen in your future actually violate the nature of God. They violate the very character of who he is and who he's proven himself to be in your life. I mean, come on, just think about these for a moment. Have I really raised up enough leaders to carry on the movement? Paul knows. I mean, Paul didn't grow up aspiring to be a Jesus-loving pastor. God said, I need a leader. Paul, done. Like, okay, Paul, if you haven't raised up enough leaders, I think you follow the God that raises up leaders. (laughs) You're going to be good, right? Uh, Even if I live, I'm going to be stuck in this prison forever. Man, you know what that is? That is a defeatist mentality that doesn't believe God can perform a miracle and and, and that where you're at right now is where you're going to be stuck forever. That is not, we've never seen that true of God. We've never seen that to be his character. Every church I've started will probably fail. Guess what? Every church he did start failed, but it birthed the movement that we now have today. We're standing here because even if something dies, God can resurrect it and multiply it. I mean, come on, this is the truth of who God is. It negates every option on this menu that is not the only two that work, to live as Christ and to die as gain. It only makes sense in the light of who God is. He's either gonna live and preach Jesus and walk with Jesus and Jesus is gonna teach him, Jesus is gonna grow him, Jesus is gonna bring people to him, or he's gonna die in that prison and woo! I'm going to be in heaven. That's it. It's the only options. See, you've got to do what Paul did. You've got to shrink the menu. You've got to take the menu of things that can happen in your life, and you've got to shrink it. Uh, uh, go back with me for a second to the job loss menu for a second, okay? All right, here we go. This is one that I'm telling you, like young people in the audience, if you haven't faced this yet, you're going to face it at some point, right? The job insecurity, and that's a, for, for those, in the room, those of us in the room who have been there, this is a horrible, horrible thing to go through, but everyone goes through it at some point. When you get there, I'm telling you, there are so many options on this menu that violate the character of God. They violate, they contradict who we know God to be. Um, you know, if you have to sell your home, what if all of a sudden, even though you've never been unemployed, you're now totally unemployable? As if God isn't always growing you. As if God isn't always opening doors for you. Come on, that violates his character. Like what if you had to sell your house and move and you know, then your kids will have to change schools and they'll lose all their friends and probably go through a really bad season and then they might grow up and hate you for it. Okay, if that happens, you are believing that God cannot take difficult things that happen in your life and turn them into good. The very thing, come on, the very thing that your kids need is to go through hardship. I heard someone say this past week, Hard times create hard men, hard men create soft times, soft times, soft men create soft times, right? Your kids, if they're going to develop the grit and the perseverance, you won't be able to protect them forever. And the fact that you lost your job and had to move and they had to make new friends in high school, and that was awful, that might be the very thing that God uses to get them to depend on him like never before. This is how God works, even if the worst of the worst happens. God takes what the enemy intended for evil and he turns it for good. I'm telling you, when you apply the nature and the character of who God is, there are only a couple options up there. Go and throw them up for me. These are the only two that make sense. You either land another job, maybe an even better one, or you grow in your character through the process. It might take you a while to land that other job. You might have to uh, lower your standard of living. You know God never promised you a standard of living. And it, it actually would actually help your character to embrace that and humble yourself and understand that the things of this world will never satisfy you. The size of your house, the quality of your car will never satisfy you. And if you had to learn that through that process, praise God. Praise God. See, I'm telling you, you need to shrink the menu. You need to shrink the menu in your life. You, you need to sit around. Like tonight, I'm telling you, you could go home right now and you could write out the thing you're most worried about, the thing you're just terrified of. And you could write out, I, I give you full permission to be a pessimist for a little bit. Write out every possible outcome that you're worried about. Write them all out. Go nuts on it. Make a big old menu. And then you write at the top of that page who you know God to be. God is good. God is here. God is in control. God is just. God is faithful. God's never given up on me. And every single one of those truths now go back through your menu, and you cross out every single one that contradicts the nature and the character of God. And see what you're left with. See if you don't end up with, a, with an in and out burger menu, a shrunken menu, and all of a sudden, optimism will flow. You can do it every single day with every single issue you have. I'm telling you, I had to do this. I had to do this nonstop in the midst of COVID. I know I've used COVID as an example before. I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep using it because I feel like when I get to heaven one day, they're gonna have a little like powwow where they say, hey, every pastor who had to lead through COVID, stand up. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, my homies over there i see you Man, mean when i was leading through covid leading through this pandemic uh my menu i mean come on like if, if for those of you who don't know like i my, my family moved here to lead this church three months before the pandemic hit and so we we got here barely quick enough to say hi and then i was talking to everybody through a computer and man the the menu was wild the menu was wild i mean There were were some things I was writing out in my journal all the time. You know, I was writing out some optimistic things like, man, what if we grow through a pandemic? What if we see God do the miraculous in all of this? I was also writing out like, what what if COVID never ends? What if people leave the church? What if they don't like me? What if my kids don't make friends at school because school is all e-learning? What if people stop giving financially because the world has shut down and now the church has to shut down? What if the church shrinks under my leadership? What if I'm not really cut out for this? What if I can't handle the burden of leadership? With a menu like that, I mean, a menu like that had me sitting on my back porch most nights around the fire pit, talking to my counselor. Her name is Brittany Kinder. (laughs) And half the time she's back there saying, come on, come on, come on, come on, Petey, remember. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done. Remember how he met us in that counseling office. Remember how he has grown us through this. Remember what he has done in rebuilding our marriage and rebuilding your ministry and leading you back to faith. Remember what he has done. Remember how good, how in control, and how present God has been in the midst of this. And there's so much of this that violates his character. I mean, what if my, fr- my, what if my kids don't make friends at school? I mean, that's such a, such a defeated mentality that acts as if God is not their father. We say this all the time. The kids you have are on loan to you. They belong to him. God is their God. You know, what if I can't handle the burden of leadership? I believe Jesus can handle the burden of the cross, but I can't handle the burden of leading a church. It it doesn't make sense, right? What if the church shrinks under my leadership? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? That says nothing about my worth. That says nothing about my value. It says nothing about who I am in the eyes of God. God, God's love for me has been defined whether or not I produce. And so I, I, I had to shrink the menu. And when I shrink the menu, in the midst of COVID, there's only two outcomes. Go and throw them up for me. What if we grow through a pandemic? What if we see God do the miraculous in all of this? It's the only two outcomes. See, I knew, I knew, I knew. Once I shrunk the menu, if I would trust God, if we together could trust God in the prison cell that was quarantined, in the valley, I knew that God would grow us through this pandemic. If he didn't grow us numerically, he'd grow us spiritually. Even if the church shrunk, which obviously it didn't. If it did, those who remained would be so committed to each other, so committed to the mission, so committed to loving Jesus that it wouldn't even matter. If you can survive a pandemic as a church you can survive anything I, I, I knew that we would grow I knew we would I did not know what it would look like but I knew we would and now praise God we sit here and we go how how are we gonna fit all these people in an Easter and, and, and we start seeing and not just numerical but we see spiritual I mean God's doing the miraculous in all this you you gotta understand there are people oh my gosh some of you are here right now the fact that you are in church right now you don't know how you got here I don't know how you got here either because your life would say that you're the type of person who would never darken the doors of a church. But the miraculous is happening. God worked through a computer screen to get you here. There, 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 there's, there's people that are rising up in leadership in our church. You know, there's, there's some people who have been here for a really, really long time and, and have been around the church building it for a long time. There's some people who have been here not for a very long time, but they are influencing and leading our church. I can tell you about Mark. Mark's probably back in kids' ministry serving right now. Mark, my son... Mark is one of our, ki- our Peak City Kids volunteers, and he serves in the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade room. My son is in there. My son loves Mark. My son can't wait to go hike a 14er with Mark, not with me. He can't like He's making a difference. If you saw him right now, you'd be like, oh, I bet that dude's been around here forever. He found out about our church in the midst of a pandemic when you couldn't even attend church. And now he's here, leading, making a difference. God's doing the miraculous. Because when, when the world is at its darkest. The light of the church shines its brightest. God does what he's gonna do. see, the menu, you gotta shrink the menu. You gotta fight for optimism by limiting your options. Your menu needs to be reflecting the character and the nature of God. You know, Jesus only had one option on his menu. When Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross to die for you, there's only one option on the menu. Could have been a whole bunch. Right When he stretches his arms out on the cross, he could have been worried about whether or not you would believe in him. He had no guarantee that you would follow him, no guarantee that you would believe in him. He could have been worried about the fact that when he's hanging on the cross, all of his followers except for his mother and John had left him. He could have been worried about the movement even continuing past him. There's so much. I mean, he could have been worried about whether or not he could conquer death, even though he would predicted it. He's hanging there on the cross thinking, what am I about to do? I'm about to go to the gates of hell and conquer death. I mean, you've got to know there's so much that could be on the menu, but Jesus for His menu, He shrunk the menu. There's only one option. Romans chapter five, verse eight: For God demonstrates His own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the menu. The menu was, I don't know if they're going to follow me or not. I don't know how, what the church, the menu is, I'm here to stretch my arms out and demonstrate the love of God to the world. I'm here to tell you that even while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Even while you didn't believe in him, even the fact that right now you're not sure if you believe in him, I'm telling you, he died for you. He loves you that much, that unconditional love and that love was meant to move you to a place of optimism where you believe the best about your future. If God would do that for you, Why wouldn't he meet you where you are right now and guide you into a better future? And actually maybe some of you guys need to receive that love for the very first time. Maybe some of you need to recommit yourself to it. Um, Maybe some of you've been following God for a long time, but you've wandered away and you're back in a place of pessimistic thinking and you're not sure how to get out of it. Maybe today you just need to recommit yourself to receiving the love of God and letting that love shrink the menu for you. And so whatever your decision is, we wanna give you the chance to make that decision today. We do this in every service every week where we have a moment to respond to God and to, uh, to, to, to not let a message go in one ear and out the other, but to actually do something with it. So let's do that right now. Would you stand with me to your feet? Every head bowed, every eye closed in the room. This is a private decision between you and God. Um, last service, it was a beautiful thing. We had uh, old and young, black, white, and brown all over the room, and decisions made by people from every background. It's beautiful. It's the kind of church we want to be. And so, we give you that opportunity right now. If you're here and you would not call yourself a, a, a Christian up to this point, you would not say that you've wanted to start following Jesus. But you know now that his love for you is everything you've been searching for. You know now that the way out of the attacks of this world and the attack on your soul is through following Jesus. And you want to say yes to him for the very first time. You don't have to have your life cleaned up. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You just have to be ready to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a personal, private decision between you and God. One, two, three. Beautiful. It's incredible. Awesome. You put your hands down. If you're here and you know that you have fallen victim to the world's attacks, to the attacks of the enemy, and you have fallen back into a pessimistic mindset, you're you're unsure, but you want to get back to a place of confidence and of optimism, and you know that the way back is by recommitting your life to Jesus. If that's you and you want to make that decision to get back on track following him and letting his love change your perspective, if that's you and you want to make that decision, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three a private decision between you and God. One, two, three. It's beautiful. Hands up all over the room. It's incredible. You can put your hands down. Let's pray and let's celebrate that. Jesus, we love you. Oh, we love you. <clears throat> Jesus, this world is so heavy and so dark, and um, we just need you. We need you God. We we confess our pessimism to you. You've given us no reason to live believing the worst is yet to come. You've given us every reason God based on the history of our lives, based off of the cross itself. You've given us every reason to believe the best. So God, we ask you to change our minds right now. Change our hearts right now. God, I pray for every marriage that's hurting in the room. Every every lonely individual right now who's hurting right now. Every every person who's struggling through uh, illness and sickness and pain, uh, everyone who's dealing with uncertainty and anxiety, God, I pray you'd meet us right now and and we need you to and, and to show us how good you are. We, we, we trust our lives over to you in this, Jesus. And God, I thank you so much for the decisions that were made in this room today. We don't take that for granted. Your spirit was at work. And so every Sunday we come together and you move, we will celebrate that, God. And so we thank you for the life you've given us. We thank you. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we all pray together by saying, amen, amen. Let's celebrate. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.